0: People who I've seen who have a growth mindset, a true growth mindset, there's a sense of humility about them. And it's impressive in that they're focused on the right things. They're focused on being kind to others. They're focused on building others. They don't compare, right? Comparison sort of is one of those things that the ego needs in order to feed it. But a person who really has a growth mindset let 's go of that, and they 're willing to take on new challenges without the fear of failure and I think when you let go of this idea of failing and of looking a certain way in front of others man it 's empowering.
1: This is Jeff Burningham, and welcome to the Us Podcast. Excited to be with you again this week. Here is the purpose of the podcast. What can we learn from the people around us, and how do we make a difference? 100% of us are flawed, but I believe that like 99.3.7% of us are good really good trying to do the very best we can no matter our differences we are all a lot more alike than we realize a goal of this podcast is to elicit more compassion and less comparing to those around us another is to eradicate fear we too often let mistakes of the past and concern for an unknown future destroy our happiness and stunt our progress moving forward so these are the stories of people you may or may not have heard of that will change your life for the better. And today, I'm grateful to have a friend in the podcast booth in a bright orange hoodie, <laughs> representing Timpview High School, Fidel Montero, the principal of Timp View Hi. High School. How you doing, Fidel? What's
0: going on, Jeff?
1: Thanks for coming, man. Thanks
0: for having me. This is great. I appreciate the uh, the energy, the time you're putting into the podcast. I love what it stands for and what you're trying to accomplish. I appreciate it. Just that. humbled to be here, man. I'm grateful.
1: Well, you have a lot to teach us, man. And you have like the toughest job in Utah. So let me tell you a little <laughs> bit about Fidel. He's an immigrant. We're going to talk about his background. He's had a lot of success in education, many degrees that he can talk about, degrees of wow. glory, <laughs> Fidel, or not. Um, and he's been a great principal at Timview High School, which happens to be the school that my children go to. I've had one son who just graduated last year and currently have a junior at Timview. You've got like the hardest job in America right now, Fidel. Being a principal in a public high school yeah. during COVID, how has that been, man? Tell wow. tell us about it. What do you think?
0: Well, listen. You first... look tired. I mean, <laughs> this has
1: not been easy.
0: No, and I got to tell you, I as hard as being um, an educational leader in in the 21st century, uh, an educational leader during COVID. I think the hardest job really is falling on our parents and in our teachers. I think they are, uh, the folks that are struggling the most. If you're out there listening and if, and if you have a child that's attending public schools, you know how hard it is right now to be negotiating all the tensions that we're dealing with. And for our teachers, they're, they're some of the most compassionate people, um, that you'll meet. And, and many of them are perfectionists. They want to get it right. Yeah. And, uh, when you're, Trying to educate children during a pandemic, um, the one constant is the inconsistency that we're dealing with. So, as hard as it is to to lead a school, um, I, I believe that the teachers and the um, parents are really do have the hardest job. Now, you know, for as a school leader, um, and especially as a principal, somebody you know once, once once told me when I was entering the profession that it's like sticking your head in a hornous nest and shaking it just because that's <laughs> that right. doesn't sound fun. Well, it doesn't sound fun, does it? And th- there are so many, um, you're, you're just trying to balance and juggle so many aspects of the work. Um, you know, for, for you'll come into your day and, uh, you're thinking, uh, teacher quality. And then within five minutes, you have to put on your psychologist hat because you're dealing with a crisis that requires that type of expertise. Um you know you're also balancing your your CFO hat because you're making sure that your budgets are aligning with your with your mission yep. um your ma-
1: building hat you're like a maintenance supervisor you're building yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right i mean right now we have a a, a major project that at our school oh, where yes. that's uh where we're going to be rebuilding a, a large portion of our of our property we 're grateful for the for the folks who who went out and supported the bond and provo um because it's allowing us the resources to do so, but yeah, so then you you have to put on your construction hat and what all the uh details that go into it, and then you're putting on your communication hat because you 're making sure that you, that your community understands what 's happening and uh, but above all of those things, you have to make sure you're putting on your child advocacy hat because that's what yeah. we do as school leaders we we're in the business to advocate for. For young people to make sure we're preparing them for, you know, for a career uh, beyond high school, for a life beyond high school, really. Uh, That's our mission as a school, at least at at TeamView High School. We really pride in telling our students that we're going to get them ready for not just college and not just career, but for life. And, uh, you know, that's the best part of the job. Dude,
1: I love that. I'm giving you a fist bump across the table because one of the things that I learned running for governor and going to schools all across the state and talking to a lot of education leaders, our education system, at least a lot of it, it feels like it's almost set up more for adults than for our children. Yeah. And so to have a principal, to have, you know, school administrators, leaders, teachers realize this is about the kids. So I love that you underscored all the important points but then came home with you keep in focus what really matters, which are our children,
0: yep, right, and right. I assume
1: that's why you do the job
0: right well that's right that's that's why um that's personally why I entered the field of education, um as you mentioned in the sort of the lead into the podcast um, my I, I grew up in a lot of poverty, my family um we immigrated from mexico and i was I was actually born in the states, which is kind of a that's a crazy story. <laughs> Born in the states, where in, uh, where in the states? In Northern California, okay. in, in a little town called Gridley, California. Okay. Um, it's a farming community in in uh, sort of the breadbasket of of Northern California. Um, lots of rice, peaches, walnuts.
1: That's cool. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, it's
0: fantastic. Um, they they produce probably the most rice um, in the entire you know nation. Um, and my grandpa actually moved there in the. Uh, in the late 50s and you know worked there he he brought my dad over to to the US when my dad was uh, 13 years old um my dad didn't finish middle school because he was one of he was the oldest son and needed to you know help his father and uh so that's where that's where they grew up my 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 parents married and and they started raising a family in that area and uh but when we were when i was 2 again born in in gridley california we um, economically uh, in the early 80s, you know, things sort of turned for went south and the, the work that my dad was doing sort of um, hit ground bottom. So my mother moved us, took all the children back to Mexico uh, and my father stayed here in the States working. So mm-hmm. um, so my early memories as, as a child are when, you know, growing up in Mexico and I actually experienced uh, immigration as a U.S. citizen, which um it's it's probably not uncommon, but it's certainly not the path, you know, that a lot of immigrants take. So I you know, I learned English as a second language. Um uh, I didn't I didn't learn English until I was eleven uh years old or twelve. And uh, and experienced all sort of all the challenges that, that uh you know I coming to a new country entails. And um
1: Is that when you came back? When you that's when I came back. Yeah. That's when I came back. And did you go back at two or did your mom take you back because it was cheaper to live in Mexico or because she could work there or... yeah
0: it was it was it was a combination of those things she had a she had a, a, a social support back home her her mother, my grandma uh, uncles aunts um, who could help us you know who could help us uh, uh, sort of uh, come along and uh, and my father he he was a farm labor contractor in the 70s and uh he had a sort of robust business he was a very although he did, he only had a middle school education he was still very bright and and at one point employed over 200 men wow. uh that's that he cool. would bring and he would contract with different farmers in all throughout northern california but when that business sort of hit rock bottom uh that's when they decided that it would be easier for my mother to um sort of provide us you know um uh, some education to yeah. provide us um a support uh, back home in Mexico so that's why they made that decision. I can't I mean I can't imagine uh, as an adult now with my own family sort of making that type of sacrifice, right? Yeah. Um you think about sort of you know pick it, waking up one day and saying, "Look, this is what's going to be best for our family for me to stay and work here and for you to go home and 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 you know, have the support of of you know your your parents." This is I'm thinking of my mother, you know, having that conversation. So yeah, that's that's what happened, and um, I tell you that as as sort of context because when we came back for, uh, from Mexico,
1: we're in Mexico by the way. It's a little
0: place called Colima. It's mm-hmm. it's the smallest state in the in the Republic of Mexico. It's it's a coastal city um, uh, south of Guadalajara, hmm. and when we came back. Um, you know, we we didn't have anything. My dad at that point was a, just a farm farm labor worker. I told you he employed over 200 farm workers at one point, but when he lost that business, he went back to, you know, doing that work. He didn't he didn't he didn't have an education. He didn't have sort of something to fall back on and he was doing the same work that that those men were doing that he was employing for all those years so when when we came back,
1: did you see your dad those ten years by yeah he would he would go visit he come back yeah he would go, visit. Okay, keep going. Yeah, so he would go
0: visit uh he he would spend a lot of time with us uh you know during the holidays and so forth but um but yeah, so but we didn't live with him obviously so uh when we came back that you know that transition was was also an interesting one right yeah. uh not having you know your dad around for all those years, and all of a sudden now you know he's in your life and um yeah, so that that was that was great, man. It was it was great, but it was also tough, man, because we came back and and uh, we were living in a labor camp. California has a lot of labor camps that uh, these are you know subsidized uh, housing for uh, farm labor families, and um, it, you know it wasn't you know I was thinking of America as a place that we were going to come and all of a sudden have all all this abundance of wealth, and that wasn't the case, man. We came we came here. And it was poverty, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was poverty at is sort of at a very profound level. We didn't have a lot of resources. Um, and uh, and education was tough, too. I mean, you know, learning, trying to learn English as a second language. Uh, fortunately, I had I had a good foundation in Spanish in, in my native language that I was able to sort of really um, develop some some core competency skills in English. Um, early on that that supported me through you know through as i got older Mm -hmm. uh but that that transition was very difficult and and i mentioned that because um as i was you know i was i was very blessed to have fantastic mentors uh going growing up through the education system in california we didn't our school didn't have a lot of resources it was a it was a rural school my graduating class had, I think, 26 kids, hmm. you know, wow. 26. Now, yeah. you know. Now re- I
1: understand why you were the big football star. That's right. right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Hey, listen, you Because
1: you were a football hey, star. I'm a, kidding. In yeah. a
0: small town, listen. Yeah, everyone you, plays. Everybody and plays. you play both ways that's in every right. position. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you know, you didn't have to uh, be the biggest person out there or whatever, but um, yeah, it was small. It was a small community, uh, but I think because of the smallness of the community, I didn't get lost. Um, had my family perhaps chosen to move to Los Angeles or to a bigger urban community, you know, you might have just I might have been just a number, right? And but in in Biggs uh, and in Gridley, California, people people know you. It's it's small, but uh, your PE teacher is also your you know your <laughs> basketball coach, yeah. and he's also your science teacher, and yeah. and and the, you know. There's something to be said about the relationships that you uh, establish with the, with these people, um, and, and that made a huge difference. Um, that made a significant difference. Uh, so,
1: is that it, where your love of like educators and that's where it started? Is that for where sure. it started? Is that, man. Do you still think back to those oh, days? Uh, all all and, the time. I bet yeah. all the
0: time. Um, it was it was people like Coach Pena, who uh, who was my football coach and my you know again history teacher and everything else, <laughs> yeah. you know, student body uh, advisor. advisor yeah. And it was people like him and um, and others who, who had such a huge impact on me. Uh, Mr. Wagner, who was, you know, he was an economics teacher. And, uh, you know, we were really fortunate to have him at our school because he was a retired businessman who just wanted to teach in rural schools. And he took a job there. And he's the one who said, hey, why don't you take an, an econ class? And it was probably the one uh, advanced uh, 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 placement class that we had in our school, and he gave me the confidence to go take on uh, on an econ class and, and I grew a love for um, for how our economy works and how it how it flows and and supply and demand elasticity and all these really interesting cool. principles yeah. um, and he really you know and, and he pushed me uh, to to go to college and actually study it right so it was um, It was that sort of foundation that I had when I was when I was uh, experiencing school as again, as a a second as an English, somebody who's learning English as a second language, as a child who was living in poverty as a migrant, you know, from with a migrant family. Those experiences gave me the foundation to then um, once once I got into college uh, to choose a career in, in public education. Um, initially I thought I was going to go be a banker in New York and, yeah, uh, finance economics. Like that's you right. Said, you loved it, and I yeah. still love it. I still, re- yeah, you know, it's the, interesting when, I, when I have free time, that's what I read. I'm reading books on <laughs> about the economy. I'm reading that's books cool. on, uh, you know, on markets and so forth. But are your um,
1: parents still in California?
0: They are. My, my mother still lives in the same, uh, in the same community, wow. uh, where I grew up. Uh, my father passed away, but yeah, to okay. the, to the day that he passed, he was, he was still Fair. living in that same community.
1: And how many siblings do you have? Four how...
0: sisters, man. Four sisters. Four sisters and, oh, wow. and, and, yeah. Four strong Latina sisters, you know, and, and I was the and what one What are they boy. up to?
1: Do they live in Utah or California no, or all uh, around? No, one or?
0: of them's in Utah, but the rest live in, they still live in California in oh. that community that, where I grew up. Um, well, I think you're a, a remarkable person,
1: and it's, it's a little bit easier to understand your love of education, your love for the kids that you have at your school and under your stewardship uh, because of your background. Because you were one of those kids that kind of needed help and needed you know, mentors. We all do, right? That's Public right. education, education is critical to what we're doing. So you graduate from high school and you said you were going to college and kind of thinking about what you want to do. That's right.
0: Yeah. So when I graduated from, from, um, high school, I, I didn't have a lot of aspirations really for, for college. And it was, it was actually a a high school counselor, Mr. Landry, who, who, you know, it was was my senior year. I, I didn't really have any plans to do much. Um, you know, I didn't have, I, I don't. I don't remember a family member who had a college degree or actually attended college. You know, at that point, so you know, college was something other kids, you yeah. know, did not. But not. but but it wasn't me. It wasn't my family. So um, so this guy. Hey, don't you me. have a
1: PhD now? By the way,
0: I, I do. Yeah, I know. Okay. I do. Okay. No, it's crazy. From
1: Columbia or yeah, some right. small yeah, school like that that no one's, no one's heard of.
0: Or, isn't that wild? Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So this guy, Mister Landry, he was like, "Look, why don't you take the ACT and and." you know, go, go, go try out and go to college. And I was like, man, I could barely spell ACT at that point, you know, <laughs> and, but he, he signed me up for it. I went and took it. And it was sort of an, you know, that was, that's what, that's a sort of a gatekeeping uh, assessment for, you know, to go to college. But, but yet I went, I took it and I ended up in a program that was for first generation college attendees uh in, in Cal state at Chico. And, uh It was a program that was designed to teach you how to sort of be a college student uh, because it was, again, tailored for kids who who didn't have anybody mentoring them. Um, And I'm telling you, that was life changing. I mean, it's um, uh, going to college. is like trying to play baseball. If you've never been to college and if you don't have anybody around you who who who, you know, who's been to college, it's like trying to play baseball without any coaching. Yeah, and you um, just walk
1: onto the diamond and just, say, okay, what do I do? What do I do, right? You put the mid on the wrong hand.
0: That's right. And most so of So are us, you
1: the oldest? Your sisters are younger?
0: Uh, no, I have two older sisters, but, but they, I, didn't, go they didn't go to college. Okay. They, they... One of them has returned to college. She's a lawyer now, but she oh. did that, you know, uh, later on in life. But uh, yeah, so for me, you know, going through this program, having the right mentors uh, sort of teach me how to be a student how to how to navigate college was huge it was huge because college half of half of the success in college is just learning how to manage life right how yeah. to how to manage schedules time how, to, and, schedules, yep. time, how to talk to people yep. how to talk to a professor how to advocate for yourself and these are life skills that um if you don't have somebody teaching you how to how to do that that can be really overwhelming if you don't have them as a college student um, and even when you come from a house with a lot of privilege where, you know, both parents went to college, grandma and grandpa went to college. You still have to learn them. Now, you know, when you grow up with some privilege, it, it's a little bit easier to learn them, right? But when, when you don't have anybody around you who's done it, uh, you need somebody to sort of, you know, lend a hand. And and so that's what happened with me. And, and all of a sudden it was interesting. Once I started to figure out, hey, if you go talk to your college professor, introduce yourself to them, you know, Put they're a, just normal a, people. Yeah. They're normal people and They'll they're going to they're you, gonna remember yeah. your face when they're grading you, right? I'm I mean, still trying
1: to get my junior Truman to do this.
0: You, you know? know, like what I'm talk saying?
1: to your teachers. Right. Yeah. You get know, to it's know it's them. Hard. Build yeah. a relationship. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's the, I, I, perhaps that's the one skill that I did have. I was able, I was not a shy kid. So I was able to talk to people, <laughs> you know, and I didn't, yeah. you know, so, um, so all of a sudden academically school started to make sense once I was in college. And, uh, and, and in part is because I was then developed by that point. It takes time to develop academic competency in a second language. It takes, you know, the research shows that it takes about six to seven years for you to really develop academic competency in -hmm. a second language. You can learn conversational skills Mm -hmm. rather quickly, Mm -hmm. but the sort of the ability to navigate a college class in a second language, it, it takes time. So by the time I was in high school, or excuse me, my first year in college, I was starting to develop those academic skills and all of a sudden the world opened up to me, man. It was it was fascinating that I could, you know, read a book that, you know, just a year before that wouldn't just, just I still sort of struggled comprehending, but all of a sudden now I could comprehend. And uh all of a sudden school became easy. You That's know cool. it, it became easy. And in comparison to working on the in the fields, uh whether it was working, you know, in the rice uh, a season, picking peaches. I mean, college was easy, man. Yeah, compared you know? to that. That's right.
1: What do you think these dual immersion programs, by the way, just quit as a quick aside, you sure. know, if, if it takes a lot of time to create competency, obviously this has been one of the, dare I say, like fads in education over the last decade. What Do you do? You like those programs and think they're good? Look, or? I
0: think, I think any time a child, the, the best way that you build empathy, right, is for you, A, to struggle and then for you to sort of understand somebody else's story and when you learn a second language you you're learning the technical aspects of the language but you you start to uh understand a new world right that opens up to you you start to understand hey you know this is how you know people in the ivory coast who speak french uh do things and or this is how you know folks in you know in in, the, in asia you know live because of my chinese experience right so i think there's a there's a cultural competency that comes with the acquisition of a, of of a second language that's really, really valuable. Um, and so when I look at programs, especially across the state of Utah, I think we're leading the state in terms of having uh, dual language programs for children. I, I think it's a wonderful thing. Now, you know, there's there's some funding um, uh, uh, aspects to, to it that I think we need to address so that we have the appropriate funding to continue to support these programs. But when they're done right... I think these kids who 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 learn Spanish, who learn Portuguese, who learn you know um, French, or French, Chinese Mandarin, or whatever. whatever whatever language they're learning, I'd like to think that they're they're stepping away from that experience when they're done with with a little more empathy for others, and in in the process they've developed a really powerful skill that that's going to pay off down the road. Uh, yeah. So so I, I yeah so I'm I'm a hundred percent for them, and you know at our own school we have. Um, that's
1: interesting. You're kind of making the case for a fluency in something even outside of the language that they're learning. That's right. It's a fluency for understanding other people that Absolutely. are different than you. That they come from a different culture that see things differently, which is obviously such a valuable skill and something that our world and our country is dying for. You Absolutely.
0: Know, right so, so I think I liked how you framed it. Right. I, it's almost. It's almost that. It's almost like the the language skills are a secondary benefit. But the primary benefit is, is this sort of mental uh, exercise that you go through over and over again, and and it builds like you know this empathy, right, for yeah. others. So, I love that. Absolutely, man. So yeah, so I'm for them.
1: Cool. So you're in Cali at college. How do you get to Utah? Why Utah? So you know why are you yeah. here now and how did you get? Here? You
0: know, so so my my family was. Uh, I came from a sort of a, a mixed uh, a faith family. My my mother was a devout Catholic, so and and my dad was too. Um, they joined uh the LDS church early on um and uh when i was when i was in college my my intention was to play football in college but i had a pretty bad knee injury at chico state chico right? state yeah. and uh, and uh so during that sort of you know uh when i was 19 uh you know you're i had this blown out knee i wasn't going to play college football and i was sort of you know going through some some you know some soul you? searching yeah. who am i what's life all about right <laughs> yeah. And at the time, I had a close friend of mine, Elliot Bagley, who lives in Arizona. Big entrepreneur, you know. Love this guy. We've been friends since we were sixteen. He was he was serving an LDS mission, um, and um, and I looked at what he was doing, and and I found it purposeful. I, I thought, you know what, um, what he's doing makes a heck of a lot more sense than what I'm observing at you know in the college that I was attending. Right, it, you know, his life seemed to have more purpose so i wasn't an active member of the l d s faith at the time but did
1: you grow up going to church or not really?
0: no not, not, really. not really okay i, I was I, my family did join the church and I joined the church as well um but i wasn't an active member of the did faith. you go
1: to mass or anything did you go to i H- did go Catholic to
0: I, I, yeah oh yeah Catholic mass was a big deal in our home um and especially growing up around with my grandmas so that you know you didn't miss mass um yeah. several times a week but um but but I saw this guy in when I was nineteen, um, you know, serving a serving an LDS a mission in, in the Philippines, and it just it struck me, man, it struck me at, at a core level where I I went to uh, I knew the bishop in in our community, and so I went and spoke with him, and I said, look, how do I do one of those things? How do I serve mm-hmm. one of those missions? And you know, he must have fallen off his chair because. Um, you know, I, I didn't fit the mold, right? In terms of the 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 kids that were that were doing that type of service for the church. Anyways, I I end up serving a, a, a an LDS uh, uh, mission in Texas, and when I was leaving, uh, I was my plans were to go back to Chico State, but my, uh, you know, the the gentleman who who oversees the mission, the mission president, he encouraged me to consider, uh, you know, transferring to BYU, and coming to Utah for for an experience here and. um it wasn't adding up for me because I just I just didn't see it that way culturally. I did I didn't feel I would fit in and, and so forth. But you know he did enough convincing that I ended up you know applying to uh, BYU and transferring and um, yeah and, and I haven't left. Uh, I, I I've left. I went to school in New York as you mentioned, but uh, you know I. But then you came back. I yeah that's right that's yeah. right. But um, so once I got here I you know I married a um, uh, my spouse. Uh, she was she has some roots here in Utah. Um, and yeah, we've, we've made it home and we've loved it.
1: That's awesome. And you have four beautiful kids now?
0: Five. Oh, five. Five, Jeff.
1: Five, baby. I can't cut it, I count out five the youngest. Kids. Five Crazy. kids. Wow. That's right. So, so you're here, you're an educator. What, you know, you've had this vast life experience. How would you sum it up so far? You know, like when you're mentoring kids or when you're talking to your kids or whatever the case may be, like, you know, what are your life takeaways thus far? From growing up in poverty to going on a mission, which, by the way, whether you're of the LDS faith or not, that mission experience is so formative, especially at 19 or 20, to get outside of yourself, to serve other people, to go away from home. Um, You know, like it it means a lot and it does a lot uh, for you. Um, So how would you sum it up? so far
0: yeah so i mean i think you know and 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 this might be a bit of a cliche or you it might come across that way but um in our mission statement that we have at our school um i said i told you the first part of it that you know we tell students that we're going to help them become college career and life ready right that's what we do as a school but we do that we achieve that by embracing inclusion growth and excellence and 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 i really believe at a gut level uh, through my own experience that when you are an inclusive person, that when you, you know, when you reach out to others, when you sort of, uh, drop your judgment, uh, ger- judgmental mind, when you sort of let go of ego, when you, um, when you're willing to sort of reflect and live with tension, you know, in, in, in one hand and in, 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 certainty on the other, um, When you're when you're able to do those things, when you're able to reach out to others, people who are different than you, people who have different life experience and learn from them. I mean, to me, you know, we have a whole dialogue about what what inclusion means when you when you're an inclusive person and then you add growth, a growth sort of mindset to it. Right. Meaning that um, all of a sudden you drop you drop fear from the learning process and which I think as an education system, we still have a ways to go in helping kids be comfortable in a classroom. Comfortable asking questions, comfortable trying new things, just whatever that may, might be. Um yeah.
1: I, We're really into appearance, aren't? That's we? right. Appearances, oh yeah, yeah, especially you know maybe even more here in Utah, but definitely in Utah. Like we're really into appearances, and we gotta we have to get it right. We care about the grade on our test or the car we drive or whatever the case may be. When really it's a lot more about being rather than appearance, That's right, right? and so, that's
0: what the growth mindset's well, the, about. That's right. A growth when you when. People who I've seen who have a growth mindset, a true growth mindset, uh there's a sense of humility about them and and it's impressive in that they they really they, they're focused on you know, they're focused on the right things, they're focused on being kind to others, they're focused on building others. Um they don't compare, right? Comparison sort of is one of those things that the ego needs to to you know, in order to feed it. But but a but a person who really has a growth mindset lets go of that. Um, and they're willing to take on new challenges without uh, the fear of failure. And, and I think when you when you let go of of, of this idea of failing um, and, and of, of looking a certain way in front of others, man, it's empowering. There's mm-hmm. a there's this sort of there's this I think uh, sort of liberation, right, that that you give yourself when when you get to the point in life when you're simply about. You know whatever your business might be. Hopefully, again, being being about good things, then and you let go of others' expectations. um, Man, it 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 really is empowering. So that's when we talk about growth, right? So inclusion, growth, and then this idea of excellence, right? Uh, Doing your absolute best at everything you can, Um, and whenever you're given anything to do, whenever you try to do something, you try to do it to the best of your ability. Now that that you know you might fail along the way but you're given your best effort um I, I what i have seen in my in my experience right is that when you when those sort of three things come together there're real there's a real sort of synergy to it right there's That's a real awesome. power um you know i ended up as you mentioned um being accepted to uh, one of the best uh, graduate programs in educational leadership and leadership in general at, at columbia university which you know when i was in high school I, I mean i had very little concept of what an ivy league school was <laughs> uh i had very little sort of context for uh columbia um and sort of its tradition and and its place in sort of academia so to to have walked across uh, the stage wearing those sort of doctoral robes you know and all the all the sort of
1: yeah, How is that? What I was mean, that it,
0: like? it, I mean, it's wild, man. I mean, you never think you. I mean, I didn't think in a million years that, that I would experience that. And yet, when I look back, right on how what led to that, to that sort of you know accomplishment, it was a combination of you know put my putting myself out there in play, in, in situations that were really scary. It was being an inclusive person and learning from others and benefiting from the inclusion of other people, right, Uh, uh, from mentors who didn't uh, judge me because of my background, because of my, you know, my family's background and so forth, and rather were out, you know, they were willing to help, you know, regardless. I mean, it it just those, these three things of uh, this, these ideas of inclusion, growth and excellence came together and sort of provided that opportunity.
1: That's awesome. And I love that. Um, I, I think that, you know, this growth mindset goes closely with this idea of grit, or being willing to fail, but get back up and keep going, failing again and going. This is something that I think about. Am I am I growing grit in my kids? Am I giving them, helping them have the experiences that they need to grow that grit? Um, and so my question to you is, and I think that a lot of of the older generation, I'm not. We're in our mid lives. I don't know, but it's I. What's your hope for our – do you see this in your school on a day-to-day basis? Like how do you view the younger generation coming up Um, and, and what gives you yeah. hope in them? I, I have a lot of hope and confidence in them, but a, a lot of maybe older people don't. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah,
0: I mean I think I think our youth – I mean I see, you know, thousands, right, thousands of young people that I've been really fortunate to interact with. And I just – at Tint View, uh, I was also principal of Alta High School in Sandy um, – I also I was Matt Hollins, uh, chief of staff at UBU, where we had you know over thirty something, thirty five thousand kids at yeah. the time. Uh, so, oh, it's been wild, man, yeah. wild experience. But how long were you at UVU? Uh, oh, three years. Yeah, With cool. working working alongside Matt. That was a that'd great awesome. experience.
1: That's so cool. That'd be, that'd
0: be um, cool. so. You know, but in terms of your question, right? If I'm understanding it correctly, you're asking, um, you know, what am I seeing in young people today? Yeah, and what gives you hope? And what gives me hope? I, I think one thing, one sort of strand that I'm seeing, one one positive strand that I'm seeing with a lot, with our younger generation is that. They are a lot less judgmental than 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 even I was when I was their age, right um, I think they they they're growing up seeing you know uh more the more complexity of humanity and and because of that, I think they're a little more understanding they're a little more inclusive of, of other folks. Uh, we still have a ways to go in, in modeling that for them, but um that's one that's one area that I'm seeing that that's really impressive they're kind. Uh, for the most part but they you know they're also full of insecurities right and i think um i think sometimes the pressure that we put on kids to be a certain mold right and and the expectations that we put on them to you know uh the picture that we draw for them of what success means of what achievement means i think sometimes we 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 we, we put kids in a box that doesn't fit them and mm. and i and i see that i see that stress coming out right uh you know with kids but you know what what gives me hope is really this I see kids and they're much more kinder than than uh perhaps you know your generation and mine and <laughs> and uh, you know they're a little more uh, they're definitely more inclusive they're more thoughtful and and there's a there's a there's a social sort of you know IQ that I see in kids that I didn't see you know uh before yeah and I think that's yeah. really empowering that's a good point. And, I, and I'm hopeful I'm really that gives me a lot of hope, you know. Um we we you know, they we we have a lot of challenges, uh, you know, among our youth still and and uh a lot of ways that we can uh, support them, but I'm really hopeful because of that att- attribute that I see with them.
1: Yeah, I love that. We're in a global pandemic. You, you, you know, I never thought I'd run for governor during a global pandemic. You never thought you'd be a principal of a school during a global pandemic. Like everything has changed. We don't need to go into it. Everyone's life has been affected. Our hearts go out to anyone and everyone who's yeah. struggling, whether it's with mental health or their physical health, etc., how how is this going to change education in your opinion like is this cuz in every disruption there's not only pain and heartache and hard times there's also opportunity That's there's right. opportunity for growth there's opportunity for improvement i'm cur- you talk about this one size fits all box and this is another thing that i think of when i think of public schools like we kind of have this educational system that is somewhat of a or has been a one size fits all yeah. system what does the future of yeah. education look like, and how is the pandemic maybe helping propel us yeah. or slingshot us there
0: yeah and if i mean there's there there hasn't been a, a ton of silver linings with the you know with with what we're de- this health uh, crisis that we've been dealing with as a, as a community but one of one of the silver linings that we should uh definitely be you know thinking about and looking at is the way um the potential that it has to impact education I think if we were to go back And uh, continue with education as as if nothing happened, and just try to, quote unquote, be back to normal. We will have wasted a a tremendous opportunity to change some things about education. Right? I mean, I think one one thing that's very apparent that um, that for me it's you know it's surfacing through this experience is that is that our students need a lot more contact with adults, but sometimes not necessarily more content in terms of what they're learning. And, uh, you know, the, the, the children sort of, you know, they crave, you know, positive interactions with adults. But, you know, sometimes uh, I think as an education system, we just want to sort of open up the books and dump this amount of content, information. Yeah, content, that's content, right. Damn, yeah. uh, you know, so in fact, we were just at a meeting earlier this week and as, you know, we're preparing to have our student, all of our students back at once. And one of the messages that I was sharing with our te- teachers is that it's going to be crucial that as we increase contact, that we don't necessarily increase content, right? Mm, and like and that. that we really, you know, and it's and it's hard, right? Because a lot of our teachers have this, this, these volumes of curriculum that they're trying to get through that they feel are and, and are important. But to me, one of the the highest quality uh, 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 traits that we can that we can see in, in, in good schools is the quality of the contact time that we have with kids. You know, we we've we've seen that it with with, you know, at our school, we have our student. We split our students in, in half. So half of our students come one day, the other half come the other day. And it has created smaller classrooms, right? So we have, you know, classes of, of of 15, 20 students. And it's been interesting to watch the interactions that have, that 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 has, you know, these smaller classes has really spurred. Um, you know, my teachers tell me that all of a sudden kids are a lot more, um, they're a lot more willing to take risks, to ask questions, to engage with them. Sure, yeah. Because it's just, it's a smaller setting, right? You don't have yeah. 30, 36 kids in a class, instead you have 16. And 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 you feel a little more free, right? To 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 explore, to to sort of you know, to to make mistakes. And a, a question that I have is how do how do we maintain that, right? Can, is there a way that we can leverage technology? Is there a way that we can leverage sort of you know we've had to be really we've had to be really creative with schedules and with uh, when kids are in school, when they're not. Can can we leverage some of those? Some of these things that we 're learning from to maintain some of those smaller you know interactions between the adults in the in the building and the students um, we 've taxed our teachers a ton i mean we 've yeah. asked our teachers to be. Uh, online teachers and uh, in-person teachers at the same time. We've asked them to do it with eight classes. We've asked them to take care of kids who are not coming to school. We're asking them to prepare curriculum for that live instruction and for that, you know, for yeah, the for. So we, we're asking our te- we're we're maxing out our teachers. But again, one of the you know some some of the positive attributes that we've seen is that um, um, you know the, that that human interaction really matters. But can we can we negotiate uh, how much content we're giving kids, increase the contact time, reduce some of these classes um, and leverage technology to do that? I mean, you know, so those are some big questions for us that I think we should be talking about, uh, you know, as an education community. Um, I think it's been really interesting also to um, to see. What we're giving sort of what what we're paying attention to in terms of what we're teaching in the classroom. Right. What can we let go of and allow students to sort of explore on their own? And what do we reinforce in the classroom? I think that question is really fascinating to me. And I think it's something that we, again, as we're moving through the pandemic and beyond it, that we should be you know, thinking about. I think um, it has the pandemic has forced us to be innovative, to be more flexible. It is painful. Don't get yeah, me wrong, yeah. right? Cause we're, we're such a large organization. Um, but it has forced us to, to be, to think outside of the box, to, um, to be more, more nimble in our approach. And and we have to figure out a way to sustain that as we continue to move forward. I think if we come back and, and, uh, you know, and we become more brittle in in our approach that 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 won't uh, we won't have benefited from that from that uh this sort of energy and spirit of of innovation that we're sort of embracing right now um but but it's a balancing act right yeah. um it's a balancing act because um you know we have we have a large we have a large uh student population that has a lot of different need But again, these are some of the elements that I'm thinking about as we as we move forward.
1: Yeah, I love that. I hope a lot of the educators are thinking of this. This is certainly a big issue in our state. And I know, you know, I've been speaking to uh, Governor-elect Cox a little bit lately, and I know that this is top of mind for Spencer education. And it certainly was for me, too, when I was going around the state is how do we reform education? How can we change education? Because. Education is so critical. If we want a growing economy, if we want our children to have opportunity, education is a key. And a one-size-fits-all uh, cookie-cutter education system isn't probably the best for a lot of our kids. So, Fidel, I look for you to be a leader in that regard. And in fact, I'm going to throw your name up. up yeah. too. You got to <laughs> come help. Listen, come help education yeah. in the
0: state for sure. Well, we have a lot. We have a lot of fantastic educators across the state of Utah. Um, you know, again, I, I feel blessed to. Uh, be in a school that that really embraces uh, some of these things that we're talking about, but it, it does need to be systemically. We need to be looking at it from a systemic standpoint, from a systemic change. At, you know, and and uh, allocate the appropriate resources to do so. Right. Yep. So. Uh, but we have a lot, of, a lot of bright educators across this, this, uh, this, con- this state and this country, but I, I do feel fortunate in Utah, we do have some amazing educators that I think we, we need to be tapping into.
1: One of the things I'd like to ask my guests, obviously from Gridley, California to Mexico to walking across the stage for your PhD at Columbia, you know, no one's life is a straight and to the right kind of upshot. What, what's one what of the biggest challenges you face, Fidel, or, and how have you overcome that?
0: Well, um, you know, gosh, where do where do I start with challenges? You know, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, wh- Back to your earlier question, uh, when it has been one of the best at- one of the best lessons that I've learned, and and I've learned that, and there's actually it's the title of a, one of my favorite books. It's titled Falling Upward, and it's written by a Franciscan monk, Richard Rohr, who's who's become a you know just a real sage in my, in my life. Cool. But it's this idea that 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 you that you go up by falling, right? And so it speaks to your question about challenges um that that I've experienced um and you know, I think I think perhaps um Jeff one of the biggest challenges for me has been to learn how to rewrite my the script that I had growing up. I think all of us whether we're intentional, most of us are are not intentional about writing our life script. Most of us Write a narrative about who we are, what we value, what we sort of who, who we are as individuals. We just sort of subconsciously let that script be written.
1: Yeah, for us by for others, us right? by as others young. Yeah. by
0: our experience. For me, it was by poverty. For me, it was by sort of what I observed, um, you know, growing up. And I think one of the one of and what one of the most difficult things for me has been just rewriting that script into yeah. into a script that I want to sort of own. And, and i in and, and, in the process when we're rewriting that script you you run into a lot of tension. I think you see a lot of marriages fall apart because people aren't willing to rewrite their script about uh, who they are as people. I think we see a lot of tension in business. I think we see a lot of tension in in so many you know even even in the way students learn and approach learning. I think we have children that have a certain script about the type of learner they are, and a lot and a lot of times we reinforce that by the way we treat them in, in our education system. So for me at a personal level, figuring out that 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 I can rewrite that script was, was has I've I've experienced different challenges and different and that have really turned out to be quite quite, you know, wonderful blessings. I think um Do you find yourself
1: still on that journey? Absolutely, yeah. man. Oh, it's my like gosh. always, yes. yeah. Yeah, man. Isn't and, it? Yeah, it's absolutely.
0: And and I think um I've been fortunate to be married to somebody who, who's she's an, an amazing you know life partner life coach all of the above my wife Nancy uh who you know will be listening you know today but i think <laughs> just in our own journey as a couple right i mean i think uh we've learned a lot along the way uh in how to how to be how to be a strong couple through you know by falling man by falling in our faces and you know picking ourselves back up
1: yeah even the most successful people you know the very most successful most well known people they all fall they all have to pick themselves back up um and I and I love that. What what are you excited about? What do you I I know you're super busy. Um what are you excited about right now? What's keeping the fire going in your heart and
0: mind? Yeah, so good question. What keeps me what keeps me fueled right now? You know, that the answer to that question I think has the answer varies depending on what face of life you're in. Um you know, right now I'm in a face of life where all five of my children are at home. Uh, my wife and I were trying to figure out how to be.
1: Your oldest is a senior. My right. oldest is a so senior. This, and that's so you right. have a couple more months, buddy.
0: That's right. <laughs> it's, it's coming quick. Yeah, and, but, it it, but, fast. It, but it feels like we have you know, two different families. We have you know children running around in diapers and, <laughs> and learning how to read and write. And we have children that are going to college. And that was sort of our own doing by, <laughs> having, by spreading them out so so much. <laughs> but you know what excites me is at a personal level is watching them grow up um watching them sort of become you know individuals with with um you know who just who are themselves right and it's been really cool to watch that you know in my oldest daughter um letting go perhaps of some of my own expectations and and just letting them letting them be who they are um i i think as a parent when you let go of this idea that you have to control your children all of a sudden you can really enjoy parenting Mm -hmm. and you know our our kids are going to be who they. One of the things that I've learned about parenting, and and in part it's just reflecting about my own experience, is that our children are gonna, they're gonna be who they're gonna be regard, you know, regardless yeah. of what we do, right? Yeah. Um, and in spite of what we do. So you know, so that's that is, that's exciting for me watching my own children. I think professionally, um, uh, you know, I'm really excited. About, um, you know, right now is just having the best high school in, in America. And, and I and I think we can I can make a strong case uh, both from a quantitative standpoint and just empirically that uh, that our school has become one of the one of the most successful schools in America. It's a very diverse school. Forty percent of our children uh, live in poverty, which 40 percent. Forty percent. People don't resident. realize that. And yeah. in, in Provo, Utah, and it's a diverse school. And yet we outperform. um just about every school in the state of Utah academically and you know that really excites me i'm excited about uh, i think i'm at a point in, in my career where i'm starting to sort of piece together uh what has worked um what I, what have i seen you know that's that that sort of the the secret sauce if you may for for having a successful school um so i'm excited about sort of bringing those ideas together uh sharing them with others and and really continuing to to make that school you know one of the most dynamic schools in in the country you know and and then um, I'm I'm also excited I have some some other projects that I'm working on I, again writing projects and uh, some some other collaborative you know uh, things that I'm doing with with some other folks so you know life life is full right now man that's right life you're living full. a full
1: life and a good life well that that's awesome Fidel I've always thought the world of you you're making a difference in our community in our state and in our country. How could we help you with your goals? Like, what, how could how could I help you? How could our listeners help you? What what kind of help are you looking for? Again, this this podcast was meant to be kind of a a group of people that are trying to do good yeah. and to change the world in good ways.
0: Yeah, a so good good question. You know, and 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 if I'm a listener and I'm and, and I'm you know, you're asking a high school principal, you're asking somebody with my background, what can I do? Right? I think I think one of the most uh, one of the most understated sort of you know, things that somebody can do. is just mentoring a young person, right? Uh, and you're finding them in your community. Um, you know, starting up that club soccer team that that's gonna give access to children who perhaps can't afford uh, you know, a club soccer team or starting a baseball team, you know, for children that ha- that probably wouldn't play baseball, you know, without uh without the benefit of, of of a coach, a mentor, somebody that has the resources to do so. Uh, you know, going into a school and and uh teaching children about you know if you own a business if you if you're an accountant or if you're a doctor, connecting with children who maybe don't have somebody with that sort of experience in their lives and and making that accessible and available right um you know those are micro things that you can do uh that that make a huge difference in 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 the in the life of uh, you know of a child. I think partnering if you have the resources to partner with with you know whatever schools in your community to again create opportunities create access. Uh, It doesn't take a ton. I mean, for me, it was, you know, having somebody help me understand that an ACT test was, you know, would give me would open the door for me to apply to, you know, go to college. Um, You know, for some people, that's just what you do. But for other children, they need somebody to sort of open up some of those doors. So I would I would look at, you know, if I'm if I'm a listener, I would I would say, look at your life. Look at the place that you're at right now. I mean, it might, you might be, you know, like I am with five kids and, you know, just <laughs> you wish you had another full. couple of hours in the day <laughs> to just, you know, get some more sleep. And, and, but I, I think that whether you're in that stage of life or whether you're somebody who's retired, who, who has a lot more time, a lot more resources, find, find the appropriate engagement level. I mean, I think if you were to go, I mean, I, certainly if you were to come to my school and say, listen, I've got, I've got, you know, an hour a month that I can contribute. Here's here's what I've done professionally. Here's something that, you know, we'll find a way to connect you. Mm-hmm. Um and I think most principals will do that. Um but I think when our as a community, when we sort of say, look, we're gonna build community together and and what I do um, you know, again as a as a business owner who hasn't stepped foot in a high school in 20 years. But I, but I but I actually can start building community. Man, that that's really powerful. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're talking about national politics. We have been all of this. You know, the, these last few weeks. But the, what really matters is what happens. You know, in our community, right here, uh, in whether you're in a, in Utah County, whether you're in a, you know whatever county you're living in, in rural California, that's where we build community. Right? We get caught up with the national stuff, but. Um, you know, in my opinion, the work happens at a ground level and that's where we can make the biggest difference.
1: In the trenches. Baby. In the trenches. So what trench can you go dig in and make a difference in? That's right. What trench can you get into next and make a difference? Fidel, I you know, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your work to make Tim Few the very best high school it can. Look, educators across the country, across our state are struggling right now. This is not an easy time. And uh our heart and support goes out to you, Fidel, and to all our educators in the state uh during this pandemic. thanks for all you're doing, man and thanks for making some time today. hey
0: listen man this was this was a lot of fun uh, i appreciate i appreciate what you're doing jeff with with uh with your with the resources you have with your energy with your time uh and your listeners that are checking in and and are are we're in essence having a community dialogue here At that least that's how I viewed uh today's podcast. so thank you for having me it, it's a, it's been it's been awesome
1: yeah, man. Go T Birds. I Let's hope they go. win tonight. Let's, Let's go. go. Here we go. Thanks. Fidel Montero is a community hero in a lot of ways, as are all our public educators. What a tough time. I know that a lot of you have kids at school, and it has been frustrating the, you know, in school and online and back and forth and different changes. Obviously, we've all experienced some of that frustration. But can you imagine being an educator in this situation? My heart goes out to teachers. And to, uh, you know, administrators like Fidel, he is doing his very best. I've always admired him from afar. I appreciate his friendship and, and his vision of making his high school as the principal, the best high school in the country. I love that. And I love his underdog background coming from poverty out of California, an immigrant man to the stage of Columbia, PhD. That is inspiring. And uplifting. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it's raised your sights. I hoped I hope it's given you maybe a little more empathy for the educators in your life. Thanks so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Us Podcast with Jeff Burningham. Please help us grow by leaving a rating and review and subscribing at your favorite podcast platform. Also tell your friends and share on social media. See you again next week.